This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, Chicago, we need you to take a quick listener survey. See, we want to learn more about you to help make CityCast Chicago a better and more useful podcast. Head to citycast.fm slash survey to answer a few questions. I promise it'll only take about five minutes. Plus, anyone who takes it will be eligible to win a $250 Visa gift card. You would really be doing us a favor. So please head to citycast.fm slash survey. That's citycast.fm slash survey. Thanks so much. Today on CityCast Chicago, Alders approve funding to help migrants, but not without some conflict on the council floor. Meanwhile, Chicago and DuPage County are duking it out over water supply, but at least we've got some good news to start your June off right. We've got two of our favorite voices here to break it all down, WCIU's Brandon Pope and the Chicago Tribune's A.D. Quigg. It's Friday, June 2nd. I'm Simona Licea, in for Jacoby Cochran, and this is what Chicago's talking about. Brandon, AD, welcome back to CityCast Chicago. Great to be here. BP plus AD. What a combo. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Happy <laughs> Friday. Always, always happy Friday. Um, I think we want to jump right into our our top story today. Uh, you know, I think this is definitely what everyone in Chicago is talking about right now. And that was the city council meeting this week on Wednesday, where Alderms approved $51 million in aid uh, to help arriving asylum seekers. Um, you know, we could probably do an episode every single day about this crisis that's happening. But AD, can you kind of just catch us up on what happened at City Hall this week? Right. So like you said, aldermen voted to spend $51 million on migrant care, but it only gets them through the month of June. Um, we've seen 10,000 migrants come to Chicago in recent months, dating back to last summer, and it's been a crisis this entire time. Um, and it, it became, it's publicly especially acute as more and more migrants were being essentially sheltered at Chicago police district stations. So this, this vote, uh, which was delayed, um, kicked off again this week, and it was an extremely emotional debate about um, spending this amount of money helping these asylum seekers who are in um, extremely dire straits who have traveled uh thousands of miles to come here seeking relief. Um, but there was a lot of discussion about what are we doing for the Chicagoans that live here already? What are we doing for the homeless that live here already? What are we doing for uh, the communities that have been disinvested in for decades and decades and decades? It was um, really tearful testimony from folks at city council, really passionate and sometimes angry uh, testimony from members of the public and just like a very uh, emotionally heightened meeting where ultimately this funding was approved, but it was a divided vote and it was a very divided council and public. Yeah, it was fiery. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. The emotions 
were extremely high. And it, I, I can understand why. I mean, you had some tearful, um, some tearful talk from Alderwoman uh, Jeanette Taylor where she talked about a lack of investment in the black community. And I'm conflicted because in my heart, I know what's right. I know it's right to want to help other people because as black people, that's what we do. But when the hell are y'all going to help us? But at the same time, voting yes for the funding because she says hurt people don't hurt people, shouldn't hurt people. And that it's not right to take out uh, the understandable frustration the black community has about lack of investment um, on asylum seekers coming to the city. And so it, it was an interesting debate and it kind of re-inflamed tensions that often flame up between uh, black and brown communities. You could have a whole separate podcast on that. Actually, <laughs> oh, <Simone>. yeah. But, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> but, but this just, it, it's just kind of like a new wedge and a new chapter in that ongoing tension that happens there. This, uh, what, $51 million that we're talking about is set to expire at the end of June. So, I mean, yes, it, it's a that's just to get us through the to, end of the month. <laughs> Right. right. So with the pot, you have to keep feeding here. Yeah, exactly. This this fifty one million dollars comes from a twenty twenty one budget surplus that was set aside for emergency situations. I think a lot of people would probably agree this is an emergency situation that is happening in Chicago right now. Um, but as you say, Brandon, right, it's a stopgap measure and Alders have continued to call on, you know, the feds and the state government to provide even more funding. Um, but one thing that was really interesting about this meeting, it wasn't just sort of the debate among alders on the city council floor, um, but you had a lot of comments from the peanut gallery. You had a lot of uh, heckling. The public was out. The public comment section was was what they would call lit. I mean, uh, for, for both with, you know, both sides of the issue, people that are for the migrant funding and those who are sharply against Sadly, some of it got very ugly. Um, you had people yelling out at different older people that they were sellouts for their vote. Um, there was one shout that I heard uh, on the feed I was watching uh, telling a, a, a Latino older person to go back to their country, which they're from this it's country. Not okay. so what are you about? <laughs> That's not okay. So you saw a lot of like that, that nasty rhetoric play out here. And the amazing thing about it, I haven't seen a city council meeting, and AD, you can jump in here on this, where these comments and the shouting was allowed for so long. I've covered, I don't know how many city council meetings since 2015, and I haven't seen one where um, this much interruption was allowed to continue. And I, I'm not sure of this, but this might have been a purposeful decision by Mayor Johnson to keep this as democratic as possible, to like let people speak. He kept on reminding people, please be respectful, um, if you're respectful while other people speak, they'll be respectful while you speak. We heard this from Alderman too. Um, but yes, it was the most heckling, most interruptions I've heard at a meeting. And one of the best attended city council meetings we've seen in some time. Granted, we haven't had in-person city council meetings for like two years straight. So the averages are off. But even like stuff like Lincoln Yards, really contentious other votes. I don't remember being this heated, um, this many folks showing up and shouting out. I I totally agree. And AD, I, I very much got the same feeling you got that, you know, this is Johnson's, you know, second city council meeting ever. He's, you know, and has said that he's trying to sort of chart a new path forward uh, compared to his predecessor who 
former mayor Lori Lightfoot sort of has a reputation for, uh, you know, maybe not inviting as much open conversation and dialogue, keeping a pretty tight lid on things in general. Um, and so perhaps this was sort of an attempt to try to to try to bridge that gap a little bit. I think the thing about this that's so interesting to me is, you know, especially thinking uh, about Alderwoman Taylor's uh, when she was speaking and saying, you know, I, I'm basically damned if I do, damned if I don't with this vote. And like, I think the thing that it like struck me the most is it's it's not like a no vote on this funding on this $51 million means that that money is all of a sudden going to go to these underinvested communities. There isn't a plan on it, just frankly, like from a procedural standpoint, that plan doesn't exist where this $51 million is all of a sudden going to go to whatever else these communities need. And so it's sort of a, to, to ask people to vote no on this because, you know, we already have underinvested communities is not a, it, it just is not a, a good faith argument, in my opinion. Right. And and the argument about like, there was some discussion of like crabs in a pot. Like if we choose to underfund this emergency, these migrants, um, we're, we're continuing uh, harm. Right. In a sense. Right. And like we're making it worse for everyone. Well, yeah, absolutely. And I just... The, the whole way it's playing out right now is fascinating because I understand the frustration from black Chicagoans, understandably. I mean, black Americans in general, for decades and decades and decades, the feeling is that uh, black issues are not prioritized, but the, the issues of other groups are. And so uh, if you're an everyday, you know, black Chicagoan, maybe you're not following all the news, you don't necessarily know where the funding's coming from, you see this $51 million number and you're thinking, Wow. So y'all got the money for that. But we we don't got a Chuck E. Cheese in our community. We don't have a, a mall. We don't have a theater. Like, what's going on? So it, this we're just seeing decades and decades and decades of just systemic, just mess. Always, every week, we want to talk about some stories that maybe didn't get enough attention uh, that that people should be looking at. One, Brandon, that you really wanted to talk about was this new Inspector General report about Chicago police officers who were found to have lied on the job. What did the Inspector General find here? Yeah, it was it was quite fascinating, but I guess not surprising if you do a lot of coverage of policing in the city. Uh, this uh, this IG report said that uh, more than a hundred officers who have filed false reports end up staying on the job. Many of them even get promoted within the department ranks. I, I say it needs more attention because it happened, and I I just didn't see people talking about it that much. And I think part of it might be because. I guess we're used to dishonesty in the police force at this point. I mean, <laughs> I mean with the Laquan McDonald case and going forward, we're, we're used to, to seeing that the police account of events oftentimes doesn't match what actually happened, or you got to have some sort of doubt to what you see on the police accounts. But it just kind of reinforces why you don't, when you have so many officers falsifying police reports. That's concerning, especially when you're expecting the public to have trust in the police department and these police officers, yet they can't trust that the information they're going to report on a situation is actually accurate. So I think it's a it's a major story. We have to demand accountability and integrity uh, throughout the entire city. And it's super, super crucial that that's coming as well from our police. 
Brandon, I think you're probably right on the money that it's maybe a sense of cynicism <laughs> that yeah. this this story maybe hasn't quite risen to the to the level kinda that it like should. Kind of like a lot I, of things nowadays. People are struggling off a lot of things now. We've kind of like been like, yeah, democracy is failing. Yeah, you know, things are coming. <laughs> the thing yeah. that gets me about this report is um, like community trust, absolutely vital to this, right? Oh. But if you are concerned about um, solving crime, Uh-oh. but in terms of like test officers testifying in court about how events went down. Um, if you, if the officer has a history of, uh, falsehoods, their testimony is essentially garbage. Um, which makes this whole solving crimes, holding people accountable that do commit crimes that much harder. Um, and the way that the police disciplinary system is supposed to work, uh, Light, Mayor Lightfoot used to say this all the time. If you lie, you die. It's unacceptable for an officer to lie. And the fact that we don't have structures in place at all of our police oversight agencies to catch this and discipline appropriately officers that lie is a big problem. Um, and it's one thing to that cynicism where it's like we take for granted that there are officers that lie. And another thing to have a list of 100 names of officers who have lied or like two different things. Like this is a first step toward accountability and figuring out what exactly happened, what exact structures fell short that these officers were not held accountable and fired um, if they did lie. And it's also worth noting that those 110 names uh, could in fact be an undercount. Uh, The inspector general said that you know, tracking these names was actually very difficult because in some cases, violations were actually removed from disciplinary records. Uh, and so CPD, for its part, has has said that, you know, it's sort of making progress on implementing those tracking changes to make that easier. But they've also said they can't really fire all these officers who are listed in the report because of union concerns and contract concerns. So, you know, they say they're making changes. They say they're working on it. Uh, but yeah, it's tough not to, uh, not to, well, not to be cynical been about saying, it. They've been saying they're making changes. The whole consent decree, we still got that to get worked out. So, I mean, what's going down? Uh, another thing that we will continue watching. Um, AD, you are coming with to us, uh, with an underhype story that is a little bit different. You wrote this week about, uh, DuPage County which currently has a deal with the city of Chicago to get its clean water supply, but it's considering making a change. What's going on in DuPage? So this was like a brand new story for me in two ways. I never covered DuPage, number one, and I don't cover water. Um, I happened to cover a new contract between the city of Chicago and the city of Joliet that got like officially signed at the very end of Mayor Lori Lightfoot's administration. I wrote about that contract and what it meant for the city financially. Like, wow, big new customer, lots of money coming in from uh, Chicago, essentially delivering Lake Michigan water out to Joliet. And after I wrote that Joliet story, I got a tip from a reader in DuPage who said, hey, I was just sitting in a DuPage Water Commission meeting, and they commissioned a report that basically explored them building their own pipeline to Lake Michigan to get their own water from the lake rather than continuing the contract God bless that reader. tips thank you tipsters thank you so much like where would we be without you um the folks at the dupage water commission were like we have this we've had this contract with the city of chicago to get lake michigan water for 40 years and this contract is coming to an end and we have not gotten the engagement that we want 
from Mayor Lightfoot's administration about what the terms of the next contract are going to be. And so we're looking at our, all our options here as we head into negotiations. And among those options are building three different pipelines from somewhere along the coast of Lake Michigan all the way out to DuPage County. Um, and basically what they found is it would cost uh, a significant amount of money, but they say in the long run, it would be, uh, we'd break even. It would be more affordable than what uh, we think the rates Chicago will be charging in the out years. And the city of Chicago said, all right, everybody hold on. We have a great relationship. Right. We want to maintain this relationship. DuPage is one of the city of Chicago's largest suburban customers. It's a huge amount of money that they get from them uh, for pumping this water out there. It was 113 million in 2022 that we got from DuPage. Right. And if rates, if the city keeps increasing their rates year after year, the money keeps going up as well. They don't want to lose them as a customer. And what DuPage folks made clear to me is that they want basically the same water rate deal that Joliet is getting. It's a lot of drama. This may be negotiating <laughs> tactics from both sides. Um, but this being the first time I'm writing about water, a bunch of other stuff is coming up. So like, how much lake water are we allowed to take? Um, how much more dire does this get because of how many aquifers are drying up in the suburbs? What about climate change? Like, this has brought up five different other uh, potential avenues of reporting for me. And I'm like, intrigued. To, I'm intrigued to heck. Maybe I'll be a water reporter after this. I I'm trying to it. tell you, A.D., I'm trying to tell you. So ever since I first read about uh, before the Joliet deal was signed and they were just talking about it, reading about the fact that aquifers and essentially the water source, the main water source for the suburbs is drying up like they are set mm -hmm. to run out of water soon. Like we're talking a decade, a few decades, not like 100 years from now, like it's it's coming up. So, A, the fact that we've got communities right very close by that could lose their main source of drinking water just feels like a hugely underappreciated story in our orbit. But B, uh, I had some colleagues uh, in Madison at CityCast Madison who pointed out that, you know, it's not just Chicago who's got these these lake rights and these water rights. Uh, and the Lake Michigan is is drinking water for a whole region of of cities and states and communities. Um, and these deals affect those communities as well. I feel like we take for granted, like I live right by the lake and I like definitely take for granted the fact that the water coming out of my tap you know, with the exception of, of any lead pipes that may be around, the water coming out of my tap is is good, clean drinking water from Lake Michigan. So I'm really glad you brought this you brought this up because I am very passionate that it is like an underhyped story of of the whole region of the year, <laughs> in my opinion. The city has so many contracts pending and they have competitors in other um, in Hammond, Indiana, for example, in Evanston. And what this kind of leaves out is like, as these folks compete and they cut down rates, like you were saying, like water is for all of us. And we're not really having a discussion about like the most efficient, uh, cost effective and considerate to all of our other um, lake sipping neighbors discussions that we could have. Every single episode of CityCast Chicago ends the same way. I think we're going to do it, Brandon. I think let's 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 do it. It ends with 
some good news. Ooh, yes. Okay. <laughs> to get the people okay. through, through the moment, through the weekend. Brandon, what is your good news that you would like to share with the people this week? Hats off to you with the, you know, you, you, you did it. Nailed it. You, you stepped forward. <laughs> we you, went you for it today. It. I, you know, I was scared I was going to have to do it. So I'm glad you did. Uh, my good, nobody wants to hear me sing. Uh, some good news I have. So the development of Bronzeville has been fascinating. I mean, you know, Bronzeville Winery coming over there, the Policy Kings development, it's going to have new housing and boutiques and stores. But now, uh, Sip and Savor in Bronzeville, major Black-owned coffee shop out there and throughout the South Side, they are going to be hosting uh, a Black brewery and having a tap room inside of their coffee shop. This will be the first Black brewery um, in the city of Chicago to have a tap room since uh, 2019, uh, and it's it's uh, it's called Turner House. Uh, so the plan is to have. Sip and savor the coffee shop during the daytime. Then at nighttime in Bronzeville, it'll become the tap room. People can grab some beers, have a good time. Uh, but a pretty cool thing for the South Side, especially as we talk about a lack of things to do on the South Side. This just gives more options, more outlets, more things for people to do who are out there instead of having to commute all the way north. Uh, they can have some good things to do right there in their own community. So I think it's a great thing. Um, I've been able to enjoy a lot of great beers from black brewers here in the city of Chicago. Moore's Brewing, uh, Jay Westbrook over there at Haymarket. Um, and so it, it's really great to see this rise in creativity and the development of this industry throughout the city of Chicago, not just on the north side of the city. Absolutely. Also, I love the idea that maybe you could design like a little tasting tour. You get you some some like Bronzeville wine. You get some 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 locally brewed coffee. You get some like locally brewed beer. Like I don't know. I just I'm I'm here for the I'm just here for the food and drink. Uh, I, that's, you have that's the what right idea. Absolutely, that is the right idea. I didn't even think about a whole tour, but I may have to think about getting one together. Wow. <laughs> Ad, what's the good news you're bringing us today? Black Club Chicago hit a milestone earlier this month. They have now been open longer than DNA Info, which they replaced. Um, so happy birthday, Black Club. Yes, um, yes. I love, respect, read all the time. And I remember kind of a communal sense of despair when DNA uh, shut down. I actually remember the day it shut down because I was at City Hall and it was just like, jaw-dropping awful news because everyone in the news ecosystem relied on them for ground level stuff um and black club has done a wonderful job filling that gap every week i like make a little like prayer hands emoji because i'll be looking for something really specific or a name of a developer or a name of a donor or like an old aldermanic candidate like where are they now kind of thing black club had a story they always have a story mm -hmm. and i'm rooting for everyone working there, that it continues for forever. Happy birthday, Block Club. Yeah, yeah. We love Block Club Chicago here on, uh, at CityCast. Um, we have their reporters on all the time and, and are constantly reading their work. So shout out to Block Club and so glad. Uh, just the best type of Phoenix from the Ashes story, I think, in, in, in local media, for sure. Uh, they also have great merchandise. The merch is yes. quite impressive. On point. <laughs> on point. Chicago on is point. for plovers. Oh, I love the Chicago is for plovers. I have that. I, I do. have that shirt. Do you? <laughs> I have that shirt. I've got my Black Club hat. 
I yeah, I rep Black Club all the time. Um, good I'm so for happy you. For them. Uh, my good news this week, I just really want to shout out my new favorite bar in Ravenswood. And that is a bar I didn't think I would like. It's Redline VR. So it's a VR like video gaming bar. I haven't actually played any of the video games, though, because in addition to that, they also have like a lot of great programming. They've got karaoke, open mics. I started playing Dungeons and Dragons at the bar. Uh, so that's a new thing that I'm doing. <laughs> that's really fun and exciting. Um, what's your like, what's your uh, what's your character? I <laughs> I so I just played for the first time this week my uh my 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 actual own character and I played a half orc ranger named Brula. Uh wow. I haven't decided if I'm going to stick with her yet though. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um but it's just a really great crew of people and like I said they've got really great programming and I feel like, you know, they're right on Ravenswood, right by the Metra and I feel like they're kind of slept on uh and so, yeah, just wanted to shout them out for being able to make new friends and like do new things. And uh, I don't know, it's hard to do in the city, you know? I have so many questions. They... Yeah, I need to. <laughs> Brandon, you go first. Okay. Okay. First question when we talk VR, is this like Oculus headsets and you're like drinking beer? Are the beers <laughs> virtual? Are they real? Like, <laughs> so all the drinks are real. Uh, okay. they've, got, they've got real bartenders in a real bar that you can sit at. Uh, and a performance space. But yes, they have these like booths that you put on a headset and like you can rent or whatever and you play. They have various games. Again, I haven't done the VR bit. That's not sort of my my particular interest. It might um, be, but you never know. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. We'll find out. Like I said, I just discovered it because I was looking around for fun stuff to do nearby. And uh, I was like, what are the odds that a VR bar will actually be fun? And turns out it was great. And I've met lots of great people. Wow. So what's the name Love of it that. again? Let me write this it down. It is called, <laughs> yes, that is that is a shout out to Redline VR in Ravenswood. Wow. Redline VR. All right. You're going to put me on. <laughs> Brandon Pope, A.D. Quigg, thank you both so much for joining us uh, on this Friday. Anytime. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. That's all for today here on CityCast Chicago. Our newsletter editor is Sydney Madden. Producers this week are Elizabeth Kama and Noah Snyderman. Music is by Sam Thousand, All the Kimonos, and Mark Greenberg from the Mayfair Workshop. And of course, thank you for listening, but I've got a challenge for you. I'll bet that you can get one person you know to listen to one episode of this podcast if they haven't already. Tell your friends, tell your family, and let me know how it goes. Text us at 773-780-0246. Host Jacoby Cochran is back with us next week. We'll talk to you then. Do you remember when the New York Times came out with a VR app? Yes. And they gave you like a little what? cardboard the thing cardboard to slide your phone thing into? That you put on your phone, yeah. That's the last VR thing I ever did. And I remember like putting it on and sitting in a desk chair and just spinning around like this. <laughs> because it wasn't like it wasn't games it was like be transported to this other place and i was like all right yeah cardboard headset here we go yeah i think my mind will be blown compared to like the cardboard setup (laughs) Uh, absolutely it will (laughs)